You're listening to audio from the Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about the village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. Good morning. Um, the focal passage this morning is John 4, 1 through 45, but I'm just going to read an excerpt of that. You can follow along on the screens or in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, we have some at the connection desk for you. So I'm going to be reading 4, 7 through 26. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink for the Samaritans? Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water again. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated, and the children can be dismissed to their classes. I have a couple hours worth of words to say. I'll try to get you out of here in time for the game. Starts at 3 o'clock, so that's our target. My name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors here. Would you pray with me, and then we're going to dive in. Father, thanks for the gift of your word that we get to sit under it. Thanks for your spirit that lets us see it and understand it rightly. And, and by that, lets us know you. And we know that in a room like this, there are all types of people. Uh, high on life, low in life, um, broken, distraught, stressed, anxious. Those that are joyful and, and excited and and those that are, are finding their hope in you, and those that are finding their hope in all sorts of things. Today, would you let every single one of us be uh, just awakened to who you are, what you offer us, that we would know that you are the well that never runs dry, that you are the only source for abundant life, and that you are living water, and it is in you alone 
where we can have abundant life today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've all seen like the, the cartoon image of a person or like a dog or a cat that's like walking through the desert or maybe they're like running through the desert and then like the, the, the camera pans and you come back and then they're walking slowly and then you, the camera pans again and they're like dragging their feet through the desert and then the camera pans again and they're like crawling because they're just parched and you know like dying and then the camera pans again and it comes back and they're like laying there with their tongue hanging out and then they open their eyes and they see like a lemonade stand right or like some some life-giving spring of life and so they 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 suddenly are invigorated and they run and they just guzzle it and they're drinking and mouth open heart open wide heart satisfied only to see for us the onlooker that satisfaction give way to blurry lines of oasis and we see that they were duped by the mirage that never satisfies. We, we find out that it was, it was sand all along. That they were drinking sand, but their heart was so in tune with what they had hoped. Super, super sweet lemonade. <clears throat> See, that's funny and predictable, and, and it points to something uh, happening in the depths of each of us well beyond a cartoon lemonade stand. Like that is a picture of life and, and life is drawn out a little bit and it's not maybe so dramatic and maybe not as colorful, but that is a real picture of life and, and the connection that we're drawn into in this text today to, to see that <clears throat> is directly related to that cartoon oasis, that deep longing, that unquenched satisfaction. And what we discover is that from the fall when our great, 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 great ancestors, Adam and Eve, they were satisfied in full, and they walked away from, from the Lord. They turned from God, and in doing that, they brought upon themselves dissatisfaction. And, and from that time, humanity has sought to find satisfaction and fulfillment in the abundant life, the best life now and forever, in anything and everything. And what we see today is no matter our status in this life, the highest of the high or the lowest of the low, we are all grasping at the wind, and drinking the sand of mirage until we find our satisfaction in Jesus. St. Augustine in the fourth century says this famously, our heart is restless until it rests in you. Our heart is restless until it rests in you. And we've probably exchanged in our lifetime that you for many, many things. And what we see is all of those things, apart from God himself, are us drinking sand. We might call our restless heart by different names, our, our search for meaning, or our desire for significance, or, or the fuel that drives our accumulation of money and power, or all of the things. But, but all of that is our soul longing for its creator to be satisfied in the only way it was literally made to be satisfied. So today we see that, that satisfaction in the abundant life is only found by drinking from the sacred well that never runs dry. That's what Jesus offers this woman that we look at today. And that's what Jesus offers us. He is the sacred well that never runs dry. Satisfaction in the abundant life 
our best life now and forever, the fullest life that we can live in is only found by drinking from the sacred well that never runs dry. And so we'll, we'll see this kind of tease out, and there's so much stuff here and so much stuff that we can't get to, but well, uh, I'll take a, a shot at it. Uh, the abundant life, it does three things, and the first thing is this, it elevates the lowly. So what's happening in this scene is, is Jesus is fleeing from the Pharisees who found out that he was like baptizing more people than John. And if you don't know what that's about, like you can read just the stuff before this or listen to Scott's sermon from last week. So Jesus is like, okay, I'm not done yet. I would rather not die today. And so I'm going to move on, right? And, and carry the mission somewhere else. And so he goes on uh, and, and he moves on. And, and we read in verse six, John four, verse six, uh, we see that Jacob's well was there, right? He goes to this town uh, of Samaria near a field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, says the humanity of Jesus, God himself, he's whooped. He's had a long day. There are lots of press pressures on him and around him. He's tired and he's thirsty, it was the sixth hour. It was, it was high noon, right? It was, it was probably hot in the desert at noon, right? Uh, a woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away to get some food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And I emphasize woman, and we'll see why in a few minutes, but a woman of Samaria. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. They don't uh, get along well, the Samaritans and the Jews. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? And, and she goes on and said, well, are, you, are you greater than our father Jacob? The one who, you know, he dug this well, you know. He built this thing, and he drank from it, and his, his sons drank from it, and his livestock drank from it. Are you, are you greater than him? And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said, I want that because I'm tired of coming to this well every day. We don't have time to deal with all of this stuff, but trust me when I, I tell you that the world that Jesus came into was a world that marginalized the lame and the poor and the slave and, and women and many, many others. And by his design from the beginning to the end, God has a way of leveling social hierarchy. You may have heard from the culture of our day that that God does just the opposite. And that's just not true. He actually levels social, social hierarchy. He, he, he levels the elite and he builds up the lowly time and time again. Then Jesus and his disciples were accused of 
of establishing a liberal movement. And by liberal, I mean going too far culturally. That's what people were thinking that Jesus was doing. He wasn't like uh, religious enough for them. He was like going the other way and hanging out with people that like, you know, people like us, we don't hang out with, right? So they were, they were culturally liberal. Today, it's just the opposite. The way that the culture around us looks at Jesus, uh, the word of God, the church. And let it be known that, that God is the center of dignity and love and all human efforts not flowing from him. They swerve left and they swerve right. And that's happened since the beginning of time. And that's not going to go away. If you read politics into those statements, one... That's on you. And two, certainly this shows up in politics. How do, how do cultures swerve left and right, up and down, forward and backward? It shows up by, by especially in a culture that, that's moved by, by voting. And so this stuff happens, right? We, we swerve left and we swerve right, and, and Jesus and, and the, the work of God through the prophets and the apostles is center, right? The cultural movements that pit God's design for humanity and his love for humanity against one another are unknowingly building on the foundations that God has established. The, the movement glorified in yard signs and profile pics it takes aim at God's design and it takes aim at God's people, but it, it doesn't know that, that, that it stands on pillars that God built and, and they wave flags that actually undermine and tear down the fabric of his good design for human flourishing. Hear me, it was Jesus who showed the best way to love, to validate, to elevate, to humanize. He's the fountain of the abundant life for one and for all. So we see this woman, the woman at the well, this encounter is significant, not only that it happens, but who it happens to and how it all goes down. And what we see in, in these things that John is writing to us is we see windows into the way of the kingdom. And we see windows into the way of the king. We see God in the flesh interacting with real humans. What a gift! What a gift that we get to, to walk through and learn. First hand through the scriptures. Jesus uh, just encountered a, a social and religious elite, right? The last chapter. And, and he levels him while offering him eternal life. And now we, he, he engages a, a social and religious outlier, a misfit, an outcast, a sinner and a sufferer who, who shouldn't have his ear, let alone his water in her hands. And he invites her into the fullness of life. And it's dramatic and it's countercultural in ways that, that may seem stark to the blind world around us. If you were to merely listen to the way that, that culture talks about God and the church in the way that... that uh, this book engages the world around us, you would think that, ah, oh, man, like, it's, it's fine. It's just a little dated. And, like, probably need to update some language a little bit and, and change some things and maybe conform God to our image just a bit more to make this relevant. And what I would say is, is you're dead wrong. And culture will move and it will sway. 
and it will find itself on the other side. And I'll be saying the same thing. I mean, in her book, um, Confronting Christianity, Rebecca McLaughlin, she like just deals head on with a lot of cultural stuff, and it's really good. She says the portrayal of women in the Gospels is stunningly countercultural. Stunningly countercultural. In a male-dominated culture, his attention to women is remarkable. And she goes on, she gives several example, examples to the scriptures. She says in Luke 13, when the male synagogue ruler objects to Jesus healing a woman, Jesus rebukes him and reminds him of her status as a daughter of Abraham. He, do, he doesn't just say, hey, stop picking on the one that, that's outcast. He anchors her... Her identity in him. He, he levels the playing field. He heals men and women. And Jesus confronts men who degrade women. And he elevates the defiled prostitute before men. And he rebukes them in Luke 7. Dining at this guy called Simon the Pharisee's house. That's a little tip of the hat. If he's called Simon the Pharisee, he's a religious elite guy. Right? There is a sinful woman in the house, likely a prostitute. She disrupts the party, and she weeps on Jesus' feet. Tears. She uses her hair and perfume to wash his feet. What an embarrassment. Simon is appalled. Surely if Jesus were a prophet he would know that this woman is utterly unworthy of touching him. But Jesus flips the script. He turns the contrast on its head, and he holds the woman up as an example to shame Simon. In cultural terms, Simon has every advantage. He is a man. She is a woman. He is religiously admired. She's despised. He's hosting a dinner party. She's a, a weeping prostate embarrassment. She's laying down, weeping. But according to Jesus, she surpasses Simon on every count. Here, in this passage, Jesus shocks his disciples by crossing ethnic, religious, gender, and, and moral, and every other boundary to talk with a sexually compromised Samaritan woman who, who becomes an evangelist to her people. What we see is our God is a God who frees the slave, empowers the oppressed, welcomes the stranger, lifts up the lowly, and the sooner we associate ourselves with the one in need rather than the one who has something to offer on our own, the deeper we can be transformed to look like like this Jesus. Give me a drink, he said. He shouldn't be asking her. She's a Samaritan. There's bad blood. There's historical tensions. It's not just like, yeah, like we're high school rivalries and like we beat their basketball team for 14 straight years. It's not like that. These are deep-rooted, cultural, historical things that, that have, have bred hatred. They were Jews who intermarried with, with pagans, and they had religious and cultural a hodgepodge mixture. Uh, they disregarded much of the Old Testament. They set up their own place of worship, and, and they're, they're by all accounts unclean to even be around. So it's, it's crazy that, that when his disciples come back in verse 27... 
we read this. His disciples come back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. That's the culture that Jesus showed up in. It doesn't say anything else. They were shocked that And yet they didn't say anything. It says, uh, no one said, well, what do you seek? Or, or why are you talking to her? Or why are you talking to her? It doesn't say, they, they didn't say that. Yes, you, a Jew, she says, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria. For, for Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Am I being punked? Like, what's, like what's the play? Are, are you here to take advantage of me as well? If you knew who you, were de- who you were talking to, you would have asked me for a drink, Jesus says, and I'd had, had, have given you living water. And, and see, like, isn't this so funny? You read the Bible, and you act like it's like uh, a narrator voice, like some, everything's just, uh, who are you asking me, a woman for it? And then she says, uh, this is how we read it, um, Sir, you don't even have a bucket. <laughs> you don't have anything to draw water with. Like, you can imagine this is a little, a little playful. Like, uh, can I have some? Well, I came here to, well, if you knew uh, who you were asking, then you would have asked me, and I would have given you living water that wells up in, in, into eternal life. She's like, great story. You don't have a cup. What are you, what, I mean, literally, what are you doing? You see this, the theme of misunderstanding continue. We've looked at this virtually every week. Nicodemus has this conversation, and Jesus, Jesus said, you have to be born again. And he's like, uh, hmm, how will I get inside my mother once again? And he said, I'm going to give you water, and you'll never thirst again. And she's like, yeah, you don't even have a canteen. It's twofold meaning and and he's talking about being satisfied with drink in the desert sure that's the obvious thing and and that satisfaction that you're longing for in the core of your heart that you've carried with you your entire life when you rise and when you lie down and when you sit within you he says everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again this water this is from our father Jacob don't you know I do know I also know I live in the city with the best water on the planet year after this city But I also know that when I drink that water, I thirst again. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Sir, give me this water. And, and you don't know, like tone. Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here and draw water again. And we read it. Sir, give me this water. So she's like, yeah, wouldn't that be nice? Yeah, I'm so sick of coming here and drawing water out of this thing. Still, she's thinking about water. Man, when we were in Guatemala, and this is a, a bit of a commercial, but it's a tie-in commercial, right? When we were in Guatemala, uh, hey, look at that. Yeah, let's, let's look at a couple of these. Go ahead, next one. So that's some people, they're carrying buckets. Hey, look, I don't think they had plastic in this time, but they had like clay pots or whatever. So we're going down to get water from a river. There it is. Adam's clearly tired. Uh, he's in Kville, so I can talk about 
Uh, I was tired. That girl on the right, she's 12, not kidding, just made, made uh, us tough men look like silly, carrying water. So go on. So this is water to, to wash clothes and stuff. See, we just got started and we're tired already. And she's like, hey, just give me the thing. She literally took the thing, that one took the thing and just never came. We just never saw her again. I'm, I, I'm not playing. It's like 40 pounds, 50 pounds, I think, of water. So go on, next, next slide. That's what they put it in, right? Adam sitting there chilling. Next slide. So here's a well, like a well where they get drinking water. And so it's very similar to the well that we're talking about here. Next slide, you'll see it a little better. There's Tammy and Jeremy and, and Adam and some dude just hanging out. And he was helping us fix uh, a seal that was messed up. And he used a uh, Doritos wrapper and wrapped it around it. And it was very cool. Um, that's the well, right? Look at us. Look how tough we are. All right. Next slide. That's Mitch, my guy. We get to hang out with him, those who are going to Guatemala. Uh, this is in the little village of Los Toledos. And the next slide, we carry it far away, back to the house. That's Jacob's well, real life, that right there. It's not that different than what you just saw. And so this stuff is, is pretty basic, all right? Here's the thing, right? After gathering today, there's a huddle in the youth room. And if you want to go to Guatemala, it's not too late, but we need to know today, all right? And we're going to have some conversation, and you'll learn a little bit. It'll be about 30 minutes, right? So um, you can get that off there, Ryan, thanks. Uh, a couple things about that well. It's not normally done alone. You don't go get water by yourself. Yet this woman was, was alone, right? Which is a little bit of a social indicator, like maybe she was an outlier in her own context. Uh, the second thing is pretty obvious. Um, you bring your own container. <laughs> uh, it would have been silly to walk all the way down there to the well and just be like, I mean, what, <laughs> can, how much can I hold in my hand? Like, and so she's on point by saying, Jesus, like, I don't, you're not doing it right. And then the, the third thing is you don't go in the heat of the day. In fact, these women, these women in this context uh, in Guatemala, two nights a week, they're able to go to the well. They go uh, from like 10 p.m. to 4 p.m. and they, they gather water, water all night, um, twice a week. Sometimes until the sun rises, the, the men go out and they farm corn or whatever they do, right? So the women and, and usually the daughters go and get water. Um, it doesn't look like this in your bathroom. It looks like a, a, a brutal walk, right? But but they don't do it in the heat of the day because who would do that type of hard work in the heat of the day? Another indicator that, that she probably didn't want others to be around. You get the idea that she's a little um, cast aside, right? There's this line that, that Jesus says in the beginning of this passage. The first point's longer than all the others, so relax. Um, Jesus, it, John says that Jesus had to pass through Samaria. And this is the stuff that theologians, they love to like, what do you mean had to pass? Like, what's the best route? Like, is this the best? Did he really have to or was it? And here's the thing. It doesn't matter if he had to or not, right? Debate about what that means can, can rage on. Maybe it was the better route and maybe it wasn't. Maybe it's route. Maybe it's route. <laughs> but rest assured, whether it made efficient travel sense or not, it was no accident that Jesus encountered this 
woman, and he uses the well to present himself to her as the sacred well that gives the abundant life, and to us today as, as the God of compassion, the one who elevates the lowly and offers life from the bottomless well of his love and his grace and his mercy. If you are low and downtrodden and cast out and neglected and discarded and shamed and lonely, and you don't have people, cast your cares at his feet and let him nourish your soul as the well that never runs dry. He is the source of the abundant life. It's not in anything that this world could give you. She says, Jesus, give me this water so that I never thirst again. And likewise, if, if you drink from this well, we get to live to do the same, not to shame, but to build up, not to reject, but to welcome, not to power up against, but to empower. The second thing we see in this, the abundant life sympathizes with the suffering sinner, starting in verse 16. You tracking? Bible's open. Should have one of those. If you don't, let us help you with that. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Now we don't know, I mean, I, I perceive that you're telling me things about me that can only come from God. But she's basically saying, oh, you're like a religious type, I see. And you have wisdom to offer. And then check out this, this swerve. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on the mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Oh, I see that you're a religious type. Yeah, like, my grandparents and my parents and their grandparents and we've always we've done it this way and you guys you know you're a little you're a little different right worship technicality all right and Jesus is like okay that's cool he says to her woman believe me the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the father you worship what you don't know we worship what we do know he says you're wrong but you are not left without hope. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. He's saying, uh, uh, man, the, the true worshipers will worship in a way that's from God, that's birthed inside of them, that can't come from their own hands. And it's established on what is true. Right? We, we have to get it right. But we also know that it's from the Lord. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming. He's called the Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. It would be like somebody saying, yeah, I mean, the Lord's going to return and... Or, or like a saying, like, come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly, Lord, because things are jacked up. And you know what Jesus says? Woman, the one you're talking to, I'm him. 
I will tell you all things. I am the Messiah. I am the long-awaited. I am the promised Savior of the world. How about that sidestepping she does, right? Go, go tell your husband <clears throat> about that. Actually, I don't have a husband. You're right. Oh, I perceive that you are religious. There's a note in the Gospel Transformation Study Bible that says this. By, by nature, we are allergic to grace. We resist it. Like this woman, we look for ways to avoid Jesus. She turned Jesus' pursuit of her heart. That's pretty personal, the stuff you're saying about me. Into an evasive conversation about different perspectives on worship. In his mercy, Jesus met her right there, for ultimately all of life is about worship. To what or whom do you give attention, affection, adoration, which rightfully belong to God? We can make idols, you know, substitute gods of all sorts of things, relationships, religion, anything, but even changing the subject to worship puts Jesus once more in the spotlight, for he himself is the only one worthy of our worship. And we learn a couple things from this. We learn, one, that, that Jesus knows it all. And that's frightening. And maybe that's your greatest comfort. Jesus knows it all. That's true for the woman at the well, and it's true for us who try to draw water of fulfillment through any other thing. You aren't hidden by your sidestepping, distraction, religious banter, or, or nuance. You aren't hidden by your, your morning devotions done just to make sure that you appease the Lord. You aren't hidden by your righteous acts of generosity, by showing up. You aren't hidden by your accolades, all that you've won, all that you've done, all that you have to point to that tells the world how great you are. None of those things hide you. They're all fig leaves hiding us from who we really are. He knows you, and you can either hate that and run from it, or you can rest in it. He knows you, just as you are, broken when no one else is around. The, the places that your mind goes, the places that your heart goes, the places that your body goes, None of it is hidden. He knows you. Rest in that. The second thing we learn is he's aware of her sin and he's aware of her shame. He's aware of both of those things. Sin is at work in and through each of us and it demands that we slay it else it slay a contributor of her sin. And none of Jesus' intentions in this interaction undo divine judgment for all sin. He's not nullifying the foundations of the law and the prophets, not even close, but he's shining light to enhance the greater realities, realities of the heart. Realities that look like this from the prophet Jeremiah. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, this is hundreds of years before this interaction with Jesus. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, 
And they have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. You're making a pot that's cracked. You're trying to fill it with water and it keeps seeping out. And you say, where's my water? This week, uh, Titus in Ireland and me were watching the greatest cooking show ever. It's not even a question. Greatest cooking show ever put on television or anywhere else. Cutthroat Kitchen. Dude, so good. I love it. Gosh. Camp Cutthroat. They're outside. Oh, man. So zany, right? (laughs) Alton Brown. Man, that guy. You basically buy sabotages to make cooking really difficult. And they're outside. It's camp-themed. One of the things is you buy, you pay a bunch of money, and the other person has to uh, do this task before they can get back to cooking. And the task is they have a, a metal bucket, um, and there's a, a lake, you know, I don't know, 50 yards away. Uh, and, and they have to run over, fill the bucket up, come and put this fire out, um, and, but they just there's holes all over in it. And it's just tough to watch because you're like, that is not how I would do that even with the, I mean, it's really tough to watch. But so the person fills up the water, and they get there, and there's nothing even just to dump out. It's just like a couple drops. It's, it's a holy bucket, but not like a good type of holy bucket, if that's the thing. See, we pour our hope and our worth and our value and our joy and our fulfillment and satisfaction and our present and our past and our future and our whole life into spaghetti strainers, and we expect to never thirst again. That's what Jesus is telling us. He knows you. He knows your story. He knows your sin. He knows your name. He knows your shame. And he came to free you from all of it. The third thing is similar. She has sinned and been sinned against. Both are factors in her story. And and hear me, both are factors in your story. We're all contributors to brokenness and we are recipients of the broken order that sin has done in the created world around us. Women had few rights within a marriage in the culture of this day. And, and, and sure, she has a part to play, right? She has a part to play in this. And it's evident that she has been played by the part. No woman could have five husbands if she were calling on the shots. She, she couldn't have that. Right? She's been tossed around in ways outside of her hands and, and for, for pleasure and, and inside of her control for provision, for necessity, for desire. And she says, the Messiah is coming and when he comes, he will tell us all things. And he says, ma'am, I am he. It's not a husband, it's not a promotion, it's not a spot on the starting five. It's not that Bitcoin, those things. We are all sinners, and because of sin's work, we are all sufferers. She sees the sacred well for who he is, hope of the abundant life that she's never had. To this point, it's been a whole bunch of drinking sand She shows up, a normal day, trying to be hidden, by herself, getting some water, doing daily chores, and her life is transformed forever. 
God with a suffering sinner. And we get to do the same. We are known and, and yet we are loved. This woman has a story that shaped her. We get to lean in and learn the story of others. And, and we get to be known and we get to know and we get to receive love and we get to give love because satisfaction in the abundant life is only found by drinking from the sacred well that never runs dry. And the third thing is, is the abundant life sins the satisfied. Right? Uh, in verse 28. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? I think, guys, I think he's the one. And maybe they said, Yeah, 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 yeah. We're not interested. No, no, no. He told me everything. What did he tell? He, he, he said that I had. And finally, her, her words gained some traction. Come and see the man who told me everything. Can it be the Christ? And they went out to the town, and they were coming to him. And then there's this meanwhile sidestep, and it's a weird thing. His disciples are really worried about food. They're like, Jesus hasn't eaten, and like they went out to get some Wendy's or whatever it was, and they come back, and they're like, Jesus, you really need to eat, which I really appreciate. Um, uh, and, and he says this, I, I have food to eat that you don't know about. And again, with the literal reading, like, Jesus is like, do you guys not get sarcasm? I have food that you don't know about. Like, like he's got a satchel with like some, you know, Chex Mix in it. And they're like, li listen to what they say. They say, has anyone brought him something to eat? Like, did you, you give him some of the rations? Like, you're trying to one-up me. Like, what's so funny and Jesus said to him, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And they're like, oh, it's one of those spiritual, okay. <laughs> Got you, dad. Oh, man. And there's some other stuff. And, and then he says this. He says, uh, already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. And there's all kinds of things. But, but he says, I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. He's talking to his disciples. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor, right? Can this be hope realized in a real Savior worth giving my life to? And then Jesus goes on, the sower and the reaper, they may rejoice together, and one sows and another reaps. That's like one casts the seed and one, one draws it in. This is kingdom insight. And he says to his disciples, I sent you to reap that which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. He's telling his disciples that the kingdom has been in front of them all along. And by in front, I mean like moving. It's been plowing the ground. The kingdom has paved the way for your work. And here's the thing. And your work is paving the way for the kingdom. That's what he tells them. There's stuff going on that you don't know about. And it's been laying the foundation that you're walking in. And here's the thing. You get to do the same thing for others. They're beginning to see the kingdom fruit, but it's, it's long been in front of them and it will continue long after them. Today, this broken, sinful, rejected sufferer has joined the cause and, and today we see her on mission to drink from the sacred well of abundant life and to give that same water to all who might drink from the same well. Here's the thing, her discipleship isn't complete. We don't see all of the things. This isn't the end of the story. Go and be well, ma'am. And, and go continue to worship at your sacred, uh, your uh, pagan temple. 
But just know that I, I know everything about you. It, it, it couldn't have ended there. But we don't see more to it. The imagery is, is, of this well, uh, welling up to eternal life is, is a wine glass pyramid. At the very top, someone pours the wine in. And it overflows. And it overflows into the next layer. And each of those overflow. They fill up and they overflow. And that happens over and over and over and over again. And this is the expanse of the kingdom. What we find out is it's not someone pouring a glass of wine. It's actually like on a pump that's going from the well of eternal life. That's Jesus, the one filling those cups. And it continually runs over. And that's what we are brought into. Continually full in him. Drink of that well. It fills up. How tall is the pyramid? As tall as the kingdom. And we see this real life application of, of the abundant life sending the satisfied. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. They believed her. Right? Her testimony wasn't that she was great, but, it, but it's that he was great. And he, and he told me all that I ever did, and they asked him to stay, and he stayed two days. And many more believed because of his word. And I love this. And he said to her, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. And then they moved on. Everyone must come to the place where their faith is their own. Right? And there are seven-year-olds in this church that can pray better prayers than me. And maybe they do that because they've been taught well and they've been discipled in Kville, and they, they, they image mommy and daddy at home. And I love that. And there are, there are tweens and teens that do the things or don't do the things because mom and dad said so. And maybe their life looks like this, but it's not their own. And you're still figuring out what this looks like or what it looks like to be a part of the church and you don't know. And you're doing the things, but you're not, ah. or, or maybe your, your relationship with God is built on one person, the person that led you to Jesus or whatever it is. And so like if that person weren't a part of the body, you wouldn't be either. That's dangerous. And all of those things and so many more are just this. At first, we trust him because you said he was great. But now we have heard for ourselves that he is the savior of the world. Right? I'm no longer building my life by the fountain, by the cup that you gave me, but by the, by the legitimate living water himself. Oh, man. I had a good quote in here I was going to read to you, but I won't. Okay? I'll, sh I'll shoot it out to you this week. What does it mean to drink from the sacred well of Jesus? Real practically, the band can come up. We get to long for him as our highest prize and our greatest gain. Like, I, what does it mean to drink from the sacred well? Like, oh, Jesus, what does that mean? Well, I think it means that we get to long for him as our highest prize and our greatest gain. You walking in the desert, thirsting for some real drink, Jesus is the, the, the greater gain. We get to be satisfied by him above all. If we have nothing else, we have enough. If you have nothing else, 
But you have Jesus. Hear me. You have enough. And we get to build just practically rhythms and priorities that let us behold the fullness of God. We gather together and we sit under the word just like this. We scatter out. We gather in groups. Students go to the bridge. Kids go to Kayville. We open our Bibles at home when no one's around. It's crazy. It's wild. We sit down with others and say, hey, I want to I walk with Jesus. We help me do that. Right? So that we might know, trust, and treasure the fullness of God above everything else. Satisfaction in the abundant life is only found by drinking from the sacred well that never runs dry. Man, we can do that today. All right? Tired and weary or, or high on life, this is what we get to do. We get to stand up. We can sing songs to and about God with the band. We can respond by praying. My wife and I will be back by uh, this aisle there. There will be someone else by that red tree over there. They would love to pray with you about anything Burdens that you bear. If you want to trust Jesus for the first time, there's a prayer bench over there. If you want to pray by yourself, you can sit, you can stand and sing. And if you're in Christ by faith alone, we get to trust his body that was broken and his blood that was spilt that invites us into the kingdom. And we get to do that by taking communion. This little wafer peels off on the top and the juice inside points us to our only hope. We get to remember him and declare this good news until he comes. Would you pray with me? God, thanks for the people in this room. Would you build us up? And would you send us out full today? In you alone. Amen.